about knowing when to say, I'm sorry. It's about making the decision to choose what's more important. No, wait. This wait. It's about doing little acts of kindness, even when no one else is around. Small things, done consistently, end up having the greatest spiritual impact. Good morning, sleep-in service. Ah, you guys are like half asleep. We'll try and wake you up just a moment. Let's try that again. Good morning, everybody. There we go. That's better. Great to have you here. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant, one of the teaching pastors here at Christ the King. I'm going to invite you to grab your Bible, an app, or your outline and find your way to Luke chapter 19. That's where we're going to be in just a couple of moments. But as you're turning there, I'd like to introduce you to somebody who uh, I've introduced you to for over the last four years. Uh, when she was just 10 years old, this young lady, her name is Zeri Green. Zeri came to me and said, I'd like to be the Christ the King church representative for the Whatcom County Pregnancy Clinic. I'm thinking that's an interesting uh, request for a 10-year-old at that time. Zeri was involved in what's known as the Walk for Life, and so we were walking alongside of her, and she has been reaching out. Make, she made a small decision years ago that she wanted to protect unborn children. The Bible says we're supposed to choose life as believers, and so we walk alongside of the pregnancy clinic, and she made that decision, and now, over a long period of time, God's been using that consistent small decision that she makes every year to be involved in the walk for life, and she's showing up and it having really big implications and a really big impact. So I'm going to invite you guys this morning, if you put your hands together and welcome Zeri, who's going to come and just spend a little time with me up here. Hey, friend. Good to see you. Awesome. So, Zary, I got a question for you. Years ago, you started, like when you were tiny, actually, you started walking with your family, and then over the years, you started taking a leadership role, and now I just think there's something really cool about a church that has a 14-year-old church representative for something as big as this. Like, I just think it's fantastic. There's a young person taking this kind of a leadership role. So, Zary, why did you start walking in the Walk for Life? I walk because life is a gift from God, and I've been given it, and I want everyone else to experience it. Okay, and so you actually partner. So on May the 14th, you're going to be back out walking again. You raise money every year. Do you, have, do you even have a ballpark? How much have you raised over, like, all of your years of doing this? About $30,000. Okay, so $30,000, all right? The pregnancy clinic is a place where people can go. They offer free pregnancy tests. They do ultrasounds. They just give people an opportunity to understand that that's, there's a life that's involved. And so they work with parents. It's an amazing ministry that we walk alongside of. And I know that you do this in order to help and protect unborn children. But at the same time, how has that one small decision to get involved in the Walk for Life, how has that changed you? It's shown me that anyone can really make a difference, like how much with, I've raised yeah, absolutely, because yeah, that's actually had a, a, a humongous impact. So if these people want to get involved, every year Zeri shows up, right? And she like has her little piece of paper. She's like, okay, Pastor Grant, you're going to practice what you preach? Like, uh, you're going to sponsor me or not? You're going to walk or not? She's always asking me the question. How can the people here at the 1115 service get involved? So there's a few things you can do. You can sponsor me. I'll be at a booth back there in the commons. Uh, you can go to the walk, raise pledges. There's also a 
5K run. It goes along with that as well. And you've been trying to get me to run. And I promised her if I overcome my jet lag from Israel, I'll run. If I don't overcome it, it will not be good because I'll probably run the course in the opposite direction, which isn't good for anybody. And so Zary's going to be at the, in the comments. And I just want to encourage you. It's a small decision to stop by and talk to her and just say, how can I get involved? And maybe you're sponsoring her. Maybe you're actually going to participate, raise sponsorships yourself. But I just thought because she's like our missionary at the pregnancy clinic, it'd be awesome if the people of God prayed over her and blessed her effort, even when it's, we know that it started with one small decision, right? So would you pray with me today, church? Father God, in the name of Jesus. We pray for Zari today, and we thank you for her love and her heart for wanting to protect unborn children, for wanting to, to walk alongside of parents that are making those very, very difficult life and death decisions. So, Father, I thank you that she's been so faithful over the years, so consistent with this small decision to remain involved, and you have created in her a huge impact. So, Father, we commission her to go forward and to make a big difference in her community. God, I pray that this year that she would raise more than she's ever raised before. Lord, we thank you for the ministry of the Whatcom County Pregnancy Clinic. We thank you for Sherry and for Dodie and the entire team that work there. Lord, would you continue to use them to touch people's lives and their hearts. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. amen. Can we thank Zary for coming and hanging out with us? Thanks. Appreciate it. Luke chapter 19. We've been doing a series based on a statement that basically goes like this, small things that over a long period of time create the greatest impact. And Zary started doing that. She started in a small way. God has blessed it over the years and it continues to multiply out in impact. Well, this week we've been, we're going to follow along that theme and we're going to watch Jesus go small one more time with an old Bible story that I'm sure if you did the whole Sunday school thing growing up, and it's okay if you didn't, but uh, if, you, if you're familiar with this story, right? In fact, you may even be familiar with the story that, or the little song that Pastor Todd talked about, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. You remember that? Yeah, exactly. Those of you who didn't grow up in church, you're like, what just happened? Like, what just happened to me? We'll catch you up really quick. The Bible says this, Luke chapter 19, verse 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. He was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Let's stop there just for a second. The story begins with Jesus making a decision to pass through Jericho. If you're coming to Israel with me on Tuesday, we will be in Jericho. I believe it's next Friday afternoon. And we're going to walk this particular road where this story happened. Now, it seems like a small, meaningless decision to just pass through Jericho. But we got to remember something. This is the God of heaven who knows everything. No detail escapes him. So it's no small thing that he makes a decision to go through Jericho because this is what Jesus knows. Jesus knows there is a vertically challenged individual with a broken past who's waiting for him and he's stuck in a tree. So he's going to stop there just for a second. Something stirred inside of Zacchaeus. Something drew him to make him curious, who was this guy named Jesus who was walking through the countryside, teaching a revolutionary new message and healing people as he represented God, as he was God? Now, we all know that what drew Zacchaeus there was the fact that the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, were drawing him to that particular moment. But Zacchaeus makes this small decision that was prompted by God. And the small decision was this, I want to see Jesus. And here's what's amazing. This little tax collector thought this was all his idea. And we get caught in that all the time, right? You actually are under the false delusion that you decided to come here this morning. 
I would like to propose something else to you. The God of heaven drew you here. The God of heaven picked you and said, I want you to come and sit in this particular spot, in this particular service, because the God of heaven wants to have a conversation with you. And I hope that at some point during this morning, I just become background noise in the background. I, I want you to have divine permission all morning long. If God wants to take you off to the side and have a conversation one-on-one, go with him. It'll be so much better than anything I have to offer. And you think that you made your decision to be here. But the reality is this. God is running the show. God is running your show. Whether you acknowledge the fact that he has ownership over your life or not, in this moment, he drew you to this particular place. Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, but there's a small tension I think it's a tension we all deal with, right? Would Jesus want to see me? I mean, this guy's got a broken story. In this moment, he's not all cleaned up. He's a mess, and we can all relate to that at some level, right? Oh, I want to see God. I want to encounter God this morning, but there's this hesitation in our soul that says, but, but do I really want God to see me? Do I want him to see the, the dirtiness and the brokenness that's in, inside of every single one of our lives, no matter how good we may think we are? Well, the Bible continues in verse number five. I love it. When Jesus reached the spot, we're going to come back to that. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Some of your translations say this. When Jesus reached the spot, he stopped. Now, don't miss that because it's such a tiny little detail. It's so easily overlooked. But don't miss that because I want you to know something. The God of the universe picked that spot. It was that spot, that moment, that guy, because of that conversation. The God of the universe knew exactly where he was going to be. So he chose to have this divine interruption, this God-ordained moment right there on that particular spot. Can we, make, can we have an honest moment together? We tend to blow right through those moments, don't we? I mean, we're just so wired to go big or go home. We're just moving from point A to point B. It's like, I got a schedule. I got a phone. I've got things that I need to do. And we tend to just kind of blow right through this. Here's what I love. It's so unbelievably simple, but it's so profound. There is something unbelievably God, godly that happens when we just stop for a second. When we come to God's ordained spot and we meet with him. My prayer that, is that this place would be your spot today. You know, we just kind of blow right through these opportunities. Like we all know, we, we should stop and breathe before we hit send, right? Because we just filled out the entire email with anger, and we typed it in all caps. That should be a clue, right? And we know we should stop because we hear the still small voice of God saying, don't do it. Don't do it. You're doing it in anger. It's not going to go well for you. You're going to blow up the relationship. But we think we know better, so we hit send. We know we should stop before we react in anger, but, but, but we, just, we just blow through all the warning signs, and we end up creating devastation everywhere we go. We know we should stop and listen for that still, small voice, but there's a problem. Our velocity doesn't allow us to see what God's doing. We need to learn how to stop. When you stop, here's what's amazing. You actually see people. You see a need. You may not be able to meet it, but you might. When we just stop for a second, we can hear a cry for help. When God puts it right beside it. When we travel at a velocity and we're just going so fast, we miss out on those little divine moments when God brings us to a spot to not only encounter him, but possibly to touch somebody else's life. So Jesus just stops in this divine interruption and he connects. 
I put it in your outline this way. It's a small moment on a small spot, and it results in connection. Okay, let's talk about that small thing called connection. Because I want to remind you, Pastor Todd talked about this a little bit earlier during the announcement time, that God has called us on a huge mission. In fact, the mission is flat out intimidating. It just is, right? There are 200,000 people in this county alone who don't know Jesus as personal Lord and Savior. They're far from God. And God's plan A is for us to reach them in the name of Jesus. And here's the scary thing. There's no plan B. There's only a plan A. We are it. That is big. That's intimidating. And some of us think, well, if, the, if it's a big task, we better go big. It's like, come on, Grant, here's what we're going to do. Let's go big. Let's rent Civic Stadium. And let's put up really big lights. And, and let's have a, a huge band. And let's do this great big thing. And you know what? Sometimes that's exactly what we're supposed to do. But I wonder here, whether or not today, instead of just thinking about it's all about being big, what if God just made it small for us? No pun intended that Zacchaeus is a wee little man, okay? But what if we went small? What if we made a simple, small decision to bless our neighbors, okay? If we bless them with connection. I'm going to share something with you. You're going to hear this over the next number of months as we talk about this together. This is a way to bless our neighbors. This is not original, okay? We stole it from another church, asked for forgiveness. Jesus said it was cool, okay? So stick with me, all right? But what if we bless them this way? Here's the B. Begin in prayer. What if you just started praying for your little spot? What if you prayed for the people that God strategically and sovereignly placed around you? What if you prayed that God would open doors into their lives so you can access their lives? Just like, you remember the lizard from last week from Proverbs chapter 30? That little lizard that, that, that found a little crack in the wall and found his way right into the king's presence. Well, what if we used our access in order to get other people into the king's presence? What if you just began in prayer? What if you began to pray just for the houses that were interconnected or the apartments that were interconnected where God has sovereignly placed you to live? What if you started praying for your spot? L, what if you learned their names? The names of your neighbor. Here's what's tragic. Most of us don't even, we can't do that. We have no idea who they are. And I'll tell you something, after you've lived in a neighborhood for about 10 years, it doesn't cut it anymore when you're walking down the street going, hey, bud, how's it going, bro? Hey, lady, how are you? Right? That, you know what that sends? That sends a great message. I don't care. Plus, it scares people, all right? It's like, why does knowing their names matter? Because, because they matter to God, that's why. That's why to Laurel and I, J.D. and Mary, Levi and Megan... John and Jess and Emily, they matter because they matter to God. And if they matter to God, if I'm a follower of God, it should matter to me, right? Here's an E, engaging conversations. Just simple, ordinary, day-to-day -day conversations. In fact, could you do me a favor? Here's the rule of Christ the King when it comes to having a conversation with somebody who doesn't know God. Two words, write it down, circle it, and underline it. Are you ready? Be normal. We did a whole series on this, right? Because as Christians, we've perfected the art of not being normal. And we think we've got to like slide Jesus in on the side of the conversation. That's why it just breaks my heart when I hear this kind of stuff, right? You know, somebody walks out in the driveway and it's like, hey, are you my new neighbor? Yeah, nice to meet you. Welcome here from Indiana, wherever you're coming from. That's just great. Hey, I noticed you have a car. Your car has four wheels. That's really cool that your car has four wheels. Do you know there's four spiritual laws and the first one is that God loves you? 
and I have a wonderful plan for your life. Would you like to pray with me right now? And they're just like, what just happened? And then you wonder why they're hiding in their backyard all the time, right? Just be normal. Have a conversation. Here's the S. Seek to be intentional. I mean, connecting with people requires decisions, small decisions. Like, take a walk around your neighborhood and actually meet the people that live there. Stop and talk on the spot. Here's a, here's a crazy thought. Quit hiding in your backyard all of the time and actually go out into the front yard where there are people, you know, a part of our culture used to be that everybody had a front porch. You know why? Because we actually used to connect with each other. Now we tend to hide a lot instead of just being out. And it's a simple relocation of geography. You go from the back of your house, which is awesome, you can hang out there, and you move to the front of your house where the people are, the people that God put there. You just sit on your front doorstep every once in a while, have a conversation. Here's an idea that I was inspired from last week's message. You could relocate a frog to your neighbor's yard and then invite all your neighbors to go hunting. It's a great way to reach out, okay? Some of you are like, I was not here last week. You should go back and listen to it. I had a lot of coffee last Sunday morning, I'm just saying, all right? You stop at the mailbox and talk. You need to learn to walk across the lawn or your driveway on purpose. And then you purposely listen for opportunities. When your neighbor says things like, I need, maybe you can meet the need. Or I wonder, maybe you can answer the question. Or I was thinking, maybe you can participate along with them. And as you build time and trust and transparency and conversation, ultimately down the road, it could, in God's perfect timing, lead you to a spot where you can actually talk about Jesus, which is the last S, which is share your God story. You know, this is so important, okay? Make sure you get this order right. Always listen to their story first. Always. It's biblical. The Bible says we're supposed to consider others greater than ourselves, which means we're supposed to normally take the, the second position. Listen to their story first, and then share yours. Listen and look for opportunities. I get asked this question a lot. How does a kid from Manitoba end up in Whatcom County in Washington State? And if I have enough relationship with that person, basically I end up saying, you know what? God brought us here. So if you don't like it, you should appeal to God, right? Because, I mean, that's just the way our story happened to unfold. I promise you, if you bless your neighbor, God will use that small decision to touch lives. In fact, if you look at all of these elements of bless, they're all here in the story in Luke 19. Jesus reaches out to Zacchaeus. In the two previous chapters, Jesus has been praying about his mission, praying about the spots where he's going to stop. Jesus knew his name. Now you're just like, well, yeah, Jesus is God. He knows everything. He's inspiring us to actually get to know the people around us. Then Jesus engaged him in conversation. He's intentional about the spot. He shares the story. In fact, it comes down, if you read the story of Zacchaeus, at the very end of it, a famous verse of Scripture shows up that we often just, we pull it out and we like to quote it, but we forget where it comes from. The last verse in the story says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. Jesus is on mission. He's saying, I've come to help you out of your broken story into a place of grace and mercy. Now, this is what's amazing to me about Zacchaeus. He's not a pre-processed, wonderful, all-tidied-up human being. He's a mess at this point of his life. In fact, let me tell you something about him. He was a slimy little crook. He was ripping people off. 
He was a tax collector. But here was the problem with Zacchaeus. He would collect the normal taxes, and then he'd add a cut on top of it for himself. He had some discretionary taxes that he added on top. That's why he was wealthy. He was exploiting his own people with his own game. It tells us something about him, right? He's a hurting guy who was hurting people. Let me share a little small wisdom with you. Maybe you've heard this before, especially if you've walked any recovery journey. You probably are familiar with some of this, but we, we see it lived out here. Here's some small wisdom. Hurt people hurt people. Like we know that, right? People who have been hurt are likely to end up hurting people. That's why angry people who've been subject to anger often lash out in anger. It's a learned behavior. That's why frustrated people tend to frustrate others. Whatever has hurt someone often surfaces in the very way that they hurt others. So you can imagine, if Zacchaeus had been wounded over his lifetime, I'm just going to take an educated guess. I expect at some point, somebody probably picked on Zacchaeus because of his physical stature. I mean, the Bible actually tells us, right, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And I'm sure there was something inside of him that said, look, I made it through middle school, and you made me pay because I was four foot eleven, but this is how it's going to balance out. I'm a wee little man, but now the wee little man has big authority. And the big authority is going to say this, you better bring your big wallet when you pay these taxes because they're going to be a little bigger than you expect. And suddenly, your big wallet is funding the little man's lifestyle. Why? Because hurt people hurt people. I've learned something else. 25 plus years of being a pastor. Not only do hurt people hurt people, but lost people, they lose people. You know, when I was lost in my own sin, I lost friends. I lost family. I lost myself. Because I was so lost in my own brokenness, I didn't have the capacity to care for anyone else other than me. It was unbelievably self-centered, unbelievably focused on myself. And you know this. If you're a lost person, you know how easy it is to lose people. But this is the beautiful part of the story because it changes. It spins on an axle. Hurt people, hurt people. Lost people, lose people. But here's what's amazing. Found people, find people. Let me say that again. Found people, find people. And people who have tasted amazing grace, they want others to experience it. There is nothing more infectious than hanging out with a group of people who just found Jesus. And I just stuck my head in the alpha thing the other night. I'm just looking at the people who came for dinner in a movie. They're going to have that conversation about God. And I run into people and they all have the same story. It's like, Grant, it was the craziest thing. I was going to grandma's house on Easter. God dressed up for grandma, was going to her house for ham, scallop potatoes, and an Easter egg hunt. That was the deal. And then she invited me to come to church, and I showed up for church, and the craziest things started to happen. God started talking inside of my heart, and at the end of the message, I found myself walking to the front and shaking the hand of a complete stranger. And 15 minutes later, I'm in a pool. I'm in a pool in another room, and people are looking at me saying, do you love Jesus more than anything? And I'm saying sincerely, yes, I do. And they're going, then you have been put dead to sin, raised to life. Because I came to church dry. I went home damp. It was an unbelievable thing. And this is the deal. All they want to do is to share with everybody. Like, you can't make them be quiet. Why? Because found people find people. Let's keep going. As God puts the pieces of your life back together, you discover another amazing truth. Healthy people... Spiritually healthy people, they help people. Followers of Jesus who are spiritually healthy, they realize that following Jesus is not about how I feel. Following Jesus is not about what I like or dislike. 
It's about being on mission with Jesus. And if you don't get anything else this morning, make sure that you get this. The reason we are on mission with Jesus is so that we can be in the right spot at the right time. Just letting the Holy Spirit direct us. Because the neighbor may have just lost a family member and they need somebody to talk to. We're just trying to get to the right spot at the right time because this person over here that I've never met before has an unbelievable need, but suddenly God's given me the capacity to be able to reach into their life and touch them with the love of Jesus. Beautiful thing. Now look at what comes next. I wish this story just kind of ended right here. It'd be so good. Just Jesus and Zacchaeus having a conversation from the bottom of the tree to the tree. But trust a bunch of church people to show up and just mess up the whole story, all right? Here come the religious folks. This is just great, right? Verse 7. All the people saw this and began to mutter. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. They're offended because Jesus wants to go to Zacchaeus' house. You know what's really happening here? It's what happens in all of our hearts when we start judging people. They're looking at Zacchaeus. He's like, what in the world is Jesus going to his house for? Like, I'm the good person. I showed up at the parade early. I've been following Jesus for the last two hours, and now he stops under a tree, and the guy up in the tree gets all the attention. I mean, I've been following all the rules. I've been, I've been going to church. I'm checking the right boxes. I am very religious. In fact, I can't for the life of me figure out why Jesus didn't pick me, because I'm the better choice. Like, I have a nicer house than Zacchaeus. It's cleaner than Zacchaeus's house. I even have Christian magazines prominently displayed on my coffee table. Like, and, 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 and on top of all of that, for the love of God, I'm taller than he is, so I should have been picked first. Welcome to religious legalism. I pick the boxes, not God. I choose what God should do, not the other way around. It's a small snap judgment, and we all fall victim to it at times. Why is Jesus hanging with that person? Why? I've got a question. Why not? Why not them? Don't they matter? Are they too messy? Are they too messy for God? I mean, have we forgotten the pile of sin that God saved us from? I mean, why in the world would we want amazing grace for ourselves and then want to withhold it from anybody else that's just on a journey towards Jesus himself? I mean, those are tough questions because they expose this small little thing called religious judgment, and it shows just how easy it is for us to get wrapped up in it and how it can steal and just corrupt your heart. For the record, if you're new around here, Christ the King is full of Zacchaeus kind of people. That's what bonds us together. What bonds us together here is not that we've all arrived. What bonds us together is that we actually realize how far we've got to go and how far we've come. Because God is the one who is moving us in that kind of direction. In fact, I'm going to warn you on the front end, if you're not cool with messy people, this may not be the best choice for you. But I'm going to remind you of something. Before you think life is all about being tidy, I want to remind you of something. The God of the universe got his hands dirty in my pile of garbage. And today, as someone who has been put on a different path, that he does not deserve to be on, I am so unbelievably thankful that I've got a God who's not afraid of my mess. Can I get an amen from somebody? He's just not afraid of it. It doesn't intimidate him. It's no big thing. I can take care of that for you. The Bible continues, verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, 
Here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'm going to pay back four times the amount. I'll tell you what that teaches me. When you have an encounter, a real encounter with the real God of the Bible, everything changes. Everything changes. I mean, this guy goes from being a crook to a philanthropist in seconds. I look at this room and I am so excited today because here's what I see. I see addicts that are being transformed into apostles. I see people who used to be hooked on porn now being turned into prophets. I see liars to leaders, mistakes to miracles, broken to beautiful. This is what God does best. And that big change starts with a single small decision to just encounter Jesus face to face. I love how small can become big. I love how Zari just showed us this morning. She made a single small decision as a little tiny kid. I'm going to go walk for life to protect unborn children. And look what God has done with it. A single small decision that God has magnified. Let me give you an example of this. Let me give you an example of a small decision with big implications. Okay? Totally random, but I think it completely works. If you want a thousand pounds of meat, raise elephants. Okay, stick with me, all right? If you want a thousand tons of meat, raise rabbits. Some of you are like, what? (laughs) Stick with me. If you put two elephants in a room and two rabbits in a separate room, in three years, because of the gestational periods of biology within both of those kinds of animals, if you take two rabbits in a room, or two elephants in a room, and two rabbits in a room, and leave them alone, at the end of three years, you'll have three elephants, because that's how long it takes them to make a new elephant, and 476 million rabbits. <laughs> we need to show that idea to the food bank. That is just like, that's crazy, right? <laughs> Feeding them all. Bugs Bunny, Hassenpfeffer, right? That's the whole thing. It's just perfect, right? Zacchaeus makes a small decision with big implications. And the small decision's this. I'm going to right a wrong and pay restitution. I'm going to make it right. I'm going to do the right thing. For some of you, this is the reason why you're here today. You stole a ream of paper from your boss. And you need to go back with two reams of paper apologize, ask for forgiveness, and hope that he doesn't decide to fire you. Why? Because it's just the right thing to do. It's the godly thing to do. Some of you are here for this moment. You've got a delinquent loan, and everybody forgot about it, but you haven't. And you need to diligently work as unto the Lord so you can pay it back. Why? Because it's just the right thing to do. You need to go back today and ask forgiveness because you hurt somebody. You know you did. And you need to go back and ask for forgiveness. It's just a small little thing. It's like, come on, Grant, get over it. No, church, get into it. Go and do forgiveness because I promise you something. God will honor you every single time. Now, I'm going to tell you, sometimes it will cost you dearly. But this is it. If you want God to bless you, shouldn't you choose to be blessable? Doesn't that make sense? So if you know the right thing to do, do it. Zacchaeus is like, I need need to pay restitution. I got to get this thing right. Now, don't overlook this, okay? Zacchaeus is making a small but profound decision. But here's what's interesting. He's not going to be able to do what God is calling him to do, to do the right thing in his old profession. Because he was a crook. 
So now he's got to do this. Now he's got to trust God to actually provide for him so that he can actually pay the restitution and move in the right way. Not only is he doing the right thing, he's also trusting God to make it possible. I mean, this is no small thing because it's like, God, I'm going to need you to honor my decision to make it right. And I have no idea how this is going to work out because here's what I know. I can't pay back restitution skimming people's taxes. It doesn't go together. Jesus transforms his whole heart. This little tax crook becomes an adopted child of the Most High God. The story wraps up with these words as we get ready to close. Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house. Because this man too is a son of Abraham. Can we just stop there just for like a few seconds? Abraham made a covenant with God. God came to Abraham and said, Abraham, out of you, a nation is going to be born. And they're going to become so plentiful, they're going to be, they're going to be more plentiful than, than grains of sand on the biggest beach that you could imagine. And Jesus stops in this moment and says, this man too is a son of Abraham. He's no longer just a wee little man. He's no longer just a shady crook. He's a son of Abraham. And I just picture it in my mind as the God of the universe in that moment picks up one of those tiny little grains of sand that he knew was going to come out of his family. And he looks at it and he's just like, and there he is right there. And right now, because of my, his relationship with me, he's perfect. He's just a wee little man making a small decision, standing underneath that little tiny tree right over top of our spot. And I created all of this because this one thing I know, that little man on that little speck of dust called planet Earth, that little man right there matters to me. And to me, he is no small thing. Now, can I tell you something? God feels exactly the same way about you that he did about Zacchaeus. And this is your spot. And he's pleading with you today to believe that you matter that much to him. That he would lovingly bring you to this point today so that you could have a conversation with him. Not just about the small thing of this life, but about the big thing of the rest of eternity. Verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus, I, I came looking for the Zacchaeuses of the world. I came looking for the messed up crooks. I came looking for the screwed up addicts. I came looking for the religious church people who think that they've got it all down because they checked all the right boxes. I came looking for all of them. I came looking for them because I wanted to save them from themselves. It's a big proclamation. Jesus saves a small man with big salvation. And I think he's still in the business of doing that. And I think he wants to use us not so that we'll go big, but so that we'll go small. And have the small conversation. To make the decision to do the right thing, whatever that is. To make it right, because that's just what God would want us to do. Because we are not just a nameless human being floating around in a bunch of matter. No, we are the people of God who rest on the tip of his finger. And we find unbelievable hope in the fact that he looks at that little tiny speck. And said, this son or daughter is mine. So here's what we're going to do. We're done. We're going to wrap up. 
not going to sing a song, not going to do that. I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. It would seem prudent to me that if we were going to go out on a mission, that we should probably pray about that mission together. Because here's one thing I know. This week, God's going to give you small opportunities, and my prayer is that you don't just blow right through them, but that you'll be listening for His still small voice when He asks you to do something or be someone. So would you do me a favor? Would you stand together, and we're going to pray, and then I'm going to dismiss you? And I thank you for your patience today. But would you pray with me? Let's just bow our head and close our eyes just for the sake of concentration. Father God, I pray for my brothers and sisters as we accept this mission from you. Father, I pray today we would feel a burning, a burning fire, a consuming fire inside of our hearts that would allow us to be able to care about people. Because Lord, Lord the, world, the word says that, that your love compelled you. And God, now I'm asking that your love would compel us. Lord, I pray for anyone in the room who feels small today, who feels forgotten, and I pray that they would know that God brought them to this spot to have a conversation, and that he so desperately wants them to hear and believe that they matter to him. So Father, in the quietness of this moment, I pray for those who don't know Jesus, and I pray that they would open their heart and simply say, forgive me. Help me. Lord, I don't deserve it, but give me grace and mercy today, and I will give you my life in exchange. Father, I pray for all of us that we would never forget how far we've come. Lord, may we always be mindful of how far we have yet to go, and may we invite others to join us on that mission. Lord, may we bless our neighbors this week. So, Father, I pray these things in the power of your name. I thank you for loving the Zacchaeuses of the world. Because we line up alongside of this wee little man. And we thank you for great grace and big mercy. And we pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.